Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'd like to thank this elders for the opportunity to be up here and speak to you guys and share a portion of God's word with you. I'd like to thank all our visitors who are here worshiping with us this morning. Uh, and if you haven't guessed already, I'm not the normal preacher. Um, but I've compiled some of my thoughts, and I just hope that you can take away something from this lesson. Uh, some of you know, I recently got my driver's permit, so naturally I've been pretty excited about that. And I've been driving around the neighborhood a little bit. Uh, so my truck is a manual, so I'm sure that all of you know that learning how to operate one is a process. And it takes time to learn and perfect it, but it's much easier when you have a good teacher. I want you to imagine your life as a vehicle. Take some time to get on the right track, but when you have a good teacher, it makes learning so much easier. Now imagine having the perfect teacher. There's nothing you can't learn or do. That perfect teacher is Christ, and he's already taught us through his word how to drive spiritually. This morning, I'd like to go over some similarities between cars and our spiritual lives and how we can learn from driving and apply it to ourselves. The overall analogy is that our life is represented by a car. And just like in the way cars have different parts, so do our lives. I want you to compare the size of your rear view mirror to your windshield. The size is significantly different, right? But both have a purpose when you drive. So let's start and look at the windshield. In spiritual terms, the windshield is representative of the path ahead of us in our spiritual growth. If you would, we'll start in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 5. 2 Peter 1, we'll start in verse 5. It says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. From these verses, we can see that the only way to move forward with our spiritual growth is through constant practice of everything that was listed in the scripture. And according to Philippians 3, we should be focusing on what lies ahead of us. So go ahead and turn there in Philippians 3, and we'll start in verse 13. We'll read down to verse 14. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. It says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that leads right into the next part of our car, rear and side view mirrors. They symbolize our past and our mistakes. And we usually tend to find ourselves dwelling on things of the past. And I'm not saying that you can never think about things that have already happened. I'm not saying it's bad to observe our mistakes and learn from them. But when you drive, do you constantly gaze into the rear view mirror? I hope your answer was no, because we all know 
that we should be focusing on the road ahead of us. And I know it's hard, just like in the car you're surrounded by, all these available options to look back and remind yourself of every little thing that went wrong. Your past is a burden on your new life. We cannot let it continue to be a hindrance on our progression. You don't need to turn there, but in Luke 9.62, it says, But Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus obviously must have known the fundamentals of driving because this is exactly what we're talking about here. As soon as you commit to following Jesus, looking back at your old life and constantly focusing on it can only negatively affect your new life. In one particular case, her physical life. The story of Lot's family and his wife comes to mind, and I think it ties in perfectly with this concept. If you turn back to Genesis 19, that's what we'll be reading in just a second. Most of us know this story. Um, Lot and his family were living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and because of the city's great sins, the Lord said he'd bring destruction to the cities. But not before angels were sent to warn Lot and his family to leave and go to Zoar. Genesis 19, we'll begin reading in verse 24. Genesis 19, we'll start in verse 24, says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley, the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Verse 26, But his wife from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. This all just shows that when you become consumed with your past and connected with the world, it separates you from God. Thankfully, we have God's word, or our headlights, to teach us these lessons. When you're driving in the dark, there's only one fix to the problem. You need light. Headlights are designed to reveal the path that is set in front of us, just like how God's word reveals how we should be living our lives. The very commonly used scripture, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path, pretty much summarizes exactly what we've been talking about when it comes to God's word being what can light our path. Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19. This will be next, Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19. It says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. According to the scripture, your path is bright and you are righteous. You can't be righteous without having applied the holy words of God. Uh, main sources. Uh, I think everyone here would agree that the center or the heart of a vehicle would be its engine. Our heart is what makes us as Christians fulfill the work the Lord has for us to do. So back to my truck. It's not exactly the most appealing vehicle, but what's under the hood works perfectly, well, at least for the time being. And the point is that if someone's trying to determine if a vehicle classifies as working, they're never just going to look at the outside to see if it runs. They'll look to see if what's on the inside functions properly. That's exactly what happens back in 1 Samuel. Uh, this is when Samuel's told by God to go and find the next king of Israel. 1 Samuel, and we'll start in chapter 16, and we'll read verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
And again, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, this is where Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 and 28. says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I don't know if the message got across, but I'm pretty sure these scriptures are telling us that maybe we should focus a little more on the inside, because that's what God is going to be looking at. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Have you ever noticed that when you take care of something, it naturally tends to last longer? With us, if we take care of our hearts and guard them, they will last with us throughout all eternity. And with cars, if you really take care of the engine, it also will last. And the only way to do that is by constantly fueling your car. But not just with anything. You must use the right kind of fuel in order for the engine to work and last. The fuel represents what we take into our hearts. The lessons we learn, the words we listen to, the music we listen to, things we look at when no one else is around, all these things are what go into our hearts, whether it be intentional or not. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, Philippians 4, chapter, verses 8 through 9, it lists some of the things we should be fueling our hearts with. Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, there's any excellence, and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. When you're on the road, you're usually surrounded by fellow drivers, right? Everyone's going in the same direction on your side of the road, because they, they all hope to get to their destination. In our case, our fellow drivers are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We all follow the paved road Jesus has set before us, and we all share a common destination. And I'd like to go back and mention some examples of what a good brotherly relationship looked like. I think a good place to go would be with Paul. He formed many relationships along his journeys. Uh, we could start with Epaphroditus, who he described as his brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant of the Lord. Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, is mentioned as a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And finally, Timothy, a fellow worker, a beloved and faithful child in the Lord and well spoken of. All of these men have one specific thing in common. They all have the same goal, which is getting to heaven and bringing as many people there as they could. And I don't think we realize that it shouldn't be any trouble to teach someone about Christ. If we, in, as individuals, keep the word from non-believers, then the truth is useless. This is the one road that we're all on that we should rejoice when there is traffic. We should strive to get as many people as possible to turn their cars around and get bumper to bumper with everyone on the right path. When we surround ourselves with the right people, it makes it so much easier to stay on the straight and narrow. But sometimes, there are going to be things that get in our way. Now, we can have a sermon without mentioning roadblocks. And they're designed for us to go a different direction. Stumbling blocks are used throughout the New Testament to describe anything 
that's going to get in between you and your final destination. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. Matthew 5, 29 and 30. Jesus says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. We can draw from these verses that anything that might cause us to get off our path should be completely moved from our lives. I'm not encouraging you to run over every orange cone that you see, but I am encouraging you to take an inventory of your life. And if anything has the possibility of separating you from Christ, take whatever action is necessary to make it less of a priority than God. Another thing is that stumbling blocks aren't always going to have flashing orange lights. In fact, many of the times they're discreet and will sneak up behind you. I can think of two times Jesus was tempted in very different ways. Uh, one way was very obvious, having it been done by the father of lies, Satan, chapter 4 of Matthew. And the other way was by one of Jesus' closest friends, and through good intention. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 24. Matthew 16, 21 through 24. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. <coughs> Stumbling blocks are always going to exist. And you just need to be aware of what is going on around you and make sure that you aren't being a stumbling block. And finally, when you're driving, you're always going somewhere, right? We've gone over the fact that we all have a common goal or have the same destination. I think it's pretty obvious that that destination is heaven. We're driving down this road and we encounter different things, but ultimately we're striving to go to heaven. If you would please turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 7. Philippians 3, and we'll start in verse 17, sorry. Uh, but in this letter to the church in Philippi, Paul's trying to encourage the brethren at that congregation and let them know that while there are people in this world that are enemies of Christ, the Christians would have a home waiting for them in heaven. Verse 17. It says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. We should be comforted by the fact that the Lord has a place prepared for us when we reach our final destination. And to close, I'd like to read one more scripture will be in Psalm 119. 
Psalm 119, and we'll start in verse 129. Psalm 119, we'll start in verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light, gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, after your manner with those who love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. If you're not a Christian, you really need to be. And it's never too late to put on Christ through baptism. If you are a Christian, and you just need prayers of the church, we'd be happy to do that. Whatever your need may be, please come forward. Together we stand and sing.